0: What's going on, everybody? Happy New Year, Christmas, um, Hanukkah, all that other, all that jazz. Um, And uh, I just wanted to uh, welcome you guys to another episode of the Scholar Spotlight Podcast. Over the break, I had the chance to sit down with my own mother, Janet Bonner, as uh, she walked us through her uh, life story, which to be honest, most of it I didn't really know. Um, I didn't really know myself. We talked about her brief stunt at NASA. Um, her involvement with the knowledge is, Power Pro- knowledge is Power Program, otherwise known as KIP. Um, she serves as a college counselor there and her deep passion for serving students and their families. I hope you really take some time to listen. Um, and not because she's my mom um, and I'm not <laughs> I want to be biased, but because she really did pass on some gems and I think that I think could be applied to whatever stage you are in your uh, in your life. As always, remember to like, subscribe, and rate the Scholar Spotlight Podcast. Enjoy. Mom Deuce, what's going on? Hi
1: Jordan, how's it going?
0: I am great. It's good to see you. It's good to have you on this podcast. Not everybody gets an opportunity to interview their mother, let alone have somebody who is worth interviewing. So thank you for having an exciting job and career that I think is worthwhile. Okay, so
1: this is my time to say Wow, Mr. Bonner, it's
0: an honor and privilege to be here, huh? That's it, th- that was the intention behind saying that. I needed yeah. to hear those those words to fill my ego. Yeah. Um, but all right, look, I am I absolutely honored to have you here, for real. Um I think this is gonna be great. And with every guest speaker that we have, we want to give them opportunity to kind of walk us through the arc of their career. Essentially, you know where you started to kind of where you are now. I know that I know that's a you know a big task to ask, but um, people don't get the opportunity to see, you know, Mama Janet um, and where she is, uh, where she's come from. So kind of want to put this conversation in context.
1: So I'm an East Coast girl born and raised in Washington, D.C. Left there uh, after high school, went to Atlanta to go to school. Um, after I got out of out of school, I was recruited by a subcontractor to NASA. And no, Jordan, no, I should not have been in a STEM podcast because no, don't do that. Anyway, um, I, was, uh, I, I went out to Houston, where I, you know, I, I'm you know, currently living, uh, worked at NASA, worked for a subcontractor. Uh, we built these shuttle simulators, so I trained astronauts, which was cool in itself. Um, let's see, got married, had children, and recognized that working at NASA was not for me. It wasn't fulfilling my spirit, and so quit that, stayed home for a while and raised my kids. How far would you want to go into this, Jordan? You tell me.
0: Tell me what happened after that. So after and, you know, staying at home raising the kids, you decided then to do what?
1: Um, a lot of variety of things. I uh, I was a massage therapist. Yeah, I know, just different. Uh, Somehow like that I got involved with uh, WIC. I've always explain to us what WIC, WIC is, WIC. yeah yeah okay women infant, infants and children so uh it's a federally funded program and what i did there was uh, lactation consulting i in essence taught moms how to breastfeed they'll try to encourage them to breastfeed that was probably um one of the most rewarding things i ever did simply because most of my clients happen to be uh, black or brown and historically uh they don't breastfeed and we know that. Uh, If you you breastfeed your children, infant mortality rate tends to go down. Children tend to be healthier. So this was important to me to encourage moms to at least give it a shot. So that was some good stuff there.
0: Gotcha. And so talk to us about what you're currently doing now, your work with KIPP. Tell our audience what KIPP is, sort of how you got involved, and what you're doing now.
1: KIPP is uh, the Knowledge is Power program. It is a uh, national network of uh, charter schools. Primarily in areas where the the traditional schools may be underserving our uh, our underrepresented minority children, uh, just giving them another another option as far as uh, as far as education is concerned. Uh, so how did we get involved with KIPP? Looking for a middle school for your brother, our uh, eldest child. Um, we weren't pleased with where he was, and so someone told my then husband about KIPP. And um, this was when it was really almost just getting started, and so he went to go check it out. totally to come out there. We uh, we met with the founder, uh, and we decided this would be a good place for uh, you know, for Marcus. And subsequently, all the other kids went to Kip too. And valuable um, experience. The kids got a chance to travel the you know travel the country, uh, just experience a lot of things that uh, that traditionally you know some kids uh, might not have. So it was it was a good thing.
0: I mean, I remember just growing up. And seeing uh, my, my siblings there and the experiences that they had like you talked about you know being able to go to Utah or the East Coast I knew that when I grew up that I wanted that I wanted to go there and so that, I mean, that's a good uh, a good segue into how you ended up getting involved with Kip beyond just being a parent you know mm-hmm. um, so kind of talk to us about that transition
1: so um, a lot about this time, I uh, was just, I guess just uh, talking with uh, one of uh, one of my kids, former teachers, we just sort of stayed in contact. And uh, he was telling me that KIP was beginning to uh, expand, put more and more schools here in Houston, and I guess maybe around the country. And uh, like I said, we were just really close friends. He said, you know, you, um, you could be a valuable resource because he knew how I felt about, about families and children. And he said, uh, you know, you need to get in contact with the founder. And so, so I did. And, uh, and so he was glad to hear from me. He said, so what do you want to do? And I asked him, what do you have? And so um, so he said, come on out and let's talk. And so we did. Uh, I talked to him about what I was passionate about, uh, what kind of difference I felt like I wanted to make, and how I could, I, uh, could contribute to what he was trying to do here. And so uh, he uh, asked me to meet with, um, with a school, a potential school leader, he said, "I think you guys have really hit it off, and uh, you could definitely benefit from the relationship." And so I, I met with this school leader, and uh, we did hit it off. We're like brother and sister right now, you know, even though we've gone, you are gone on other things. And I, I opened up the um, the first with him, the first uh, single gender uh, KIPP school.
0: All right, pause, pause. Yeah, I
1: know, I know. Um,
0: because. I need to put this into some context from my perspective. Like I told our listeners, I was excited to go to KIPP, but I was excited to go to KIPP that had girls. So anyway, so I'm finishing up elementary school and then my mom, you know, tells me about KIPP Polaris, which is the first single gender schools. And I was, and I was not excited. Um, but you know, looking at, in hindsight, you know, I think it was definitely a valuable, a valuable experience. But yeah, I just think our listeners need to know that about how you, uh, how it really wasn't a choice on my part. I just got kind of sucked in and roped into KIP. Well, yeah. KIP, not so the I, KIP that I thought yeah. I was going to.
1: So yeah, I pulled Mama Rake. Um, I thought it would be, a, a first of all, a unique experience because typically uh, African American males don't go to a single gender school. Uh, for those kind of reasons mm-hmm. so do we have to deal with the things like homophobia and the whole nine yards yeah we, we did uh from parents uh from kids alike so but as we talk with our parents and uh show them the benefits of of going to a single gender school and how it could really help their children focus on the things that were important don't get me wrong girls are important but um you're not in school to meet your wifey i think that a lot Debatable. of kids really get benefit from it I'm sorry, what?
0: Debatable, debatable. Yeah.
1: Okay. We're gonna move on. Yeah, so, um, we will.
0: We will move on. Um, this is a good, uh, a good uh, stopping point. Uh, for the next question that I have for you, it seems like your experience at WIC, you know, you worked a lot with black and brown families, supporting them. Um, I'm curious to see, like, how, you know, did that experience at WIC, how did it translate to the work that you did with Kip Polaris?
1: I just remember. Going out into the neighborhoods, because that's, we had to go out with food, right? mm-hmm. and recruit, um, right? And so the area where we were in Houston was predominantly African American. And I think that when you go out and talk with people who look like you, they may have a tendency to hear you more. Mm. Um, the northeast part of uh, Houston just resonated with me. I knew that it was a barren wasteland, and I knew that the schools up there were not servicing our kids well. And so, I really truly believe that uh, having KIPP Polaris and subsequently other KIPP schools up there could change the trajectory of a lot of those kids' lives. So, did we have to fight a battle to get uh, parents to even consider? It? Yeah, you know, we we did, but ultimately, I think it was worthwhile. I um I think back now, and this has been. I don't know how many years now, Jordan, but a lot of those families are still friends. You know, some of those kids have had children. I've gone to births, I've gone to funerals. Um, So it's that relationship piece, right, that makes the difference, I think, in anything you're possibly doing. When you connect with people uh, and they know that you're sincere about your care Mm -hmm. of them, then, then they're with you for life. And that's how it's been with a lot of my families.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can just speak from my perspective going there, it was something different about Polaris. I think a lot of that was attributed to the leadership and people like you and teachers who cared beyond our kind of value as a student. You know what I mean? Like they saw us Mm -hmm. as their own, really. You know, we would travel with them, uh, get food, break bread. Um, So it made me, and it made us motivated to do well in class. It wasn't like, oh, I'm just doing this for for my parents or for myself, it's like no, I want to like make my teachers proud because I know they care, they really you know genuinely care about me and my family too. Yeah, it was
1: a partnership. You know, mm-hmm. we had a lot of uh, aunts. Grandmothers, in a lot of cases great grandmothers who were raising kids. And so that's the sort of difficult, right? When you're uh, in your in your senior years and you have this 10-year-old boy mm-hmm. that you're having to contend with. So we I think that we stepped into the gap a lot, you know, in the rearing of. So it wasn't just school. Sometimes we had the school open at 10 o'clock at night, you know, um, because some of our kids had no place to go. Yeah. And we wanted them to be safe. We uh, had partnerships in the community. Our kids had uh, had a place to go to get haircuts. The first thing I bought at the school was a washer and dryer because we wanted to be sure that our kids um, they were clean. So they bought their clothes and we washed them, you know, uh, to make sure that there was no difference between between Johnny and Harry. Um, I think it's important that that boys especially don't feel less than, and so these are the kind of things that I think make our special um, and endeared
0: the families to us and vice versa. Yeah, no, that's that's so true. Um, so unfortunate every school can't necessarily do that, but I know that at the time when Polaris wasn't, or I mean, it still is in existence, but at that particular time in our society, I feel like that was, I mean, you think that was more feasible to do, right? Like how can you, I guess the question I'm trying to ask is like, how can you, you talk about relationship building um, and that parent-student school partnership, how can schools do that? Or our nonprofit, how can we do that? You know, you know we work a lot with uh, black and brown, um, first gen students and families. How can we foster those relationships if, you know, in, in, in the same way?
1: So, so it starts with heart, hmm. right? It absolutely does. If you genuinely care about kids, okay, and, and all they're ugly, then you accept them as such. And you breathe into them, I see you. I see what you was, I see what you could accomplish, I believe in you, you know. Uh, sometimes we had to, I hate to put this on tape, but I'm going to go ahead on, sometimes we had to fight parents for their children, you know. Um, a lot of times parents, um, I don't know if they were just jealous of their kids or didn't want their kids to necessarily amount to as much as we thought. So we had to, you know, we had to sort of circumvent, you know, mm-hmm. some of those, you know, some of those situations because our kids wanted, they wanted more. And uh, we were bound and determined to do that. So it still boils back down to the relationship piece. Um, it took a lot to foster that trust. We were in homes, um, when we did homeless, we would, we we go, sometimes there'd be no furniture, sometimes there'd be little creepy quality things, but you sit, I mean, no, seriously, yeah, you would yeah. sit and you just ignore it. Mm-hmm. You wanted people, you, you wanted your family to so know, comfortable. look, I'm like you, you know? Mm. Um, I'm not above you. I'm not. I'm not anything but like here to to offer these services to you and your kid. And we're gonna fall in love with you regardless, right? Those are the kind of things that made the difference. Mm-hmm. Those are the kind of things that made us part of that neighborhood because they felt that they could really trust us.
0: That's so real. I think, especially with the population of students that you work with, like you needed that. Like they needed to know that that level of trust was there if they're gonna. Tr- and trust you with their with their kids um Absolutely. yeah I kind of want to talk about because we could talk about Polaris and the work that you guys did that we can talk about that the, the entire podcast but there's also more to your to your story beyond that too um and you know you sub- subsequently stayed with Kip but now in a new role so kind of talk to me about the role you're in now and then I'll follow up with something else
1: Okay, so there were a couple of different roles I had with, uh, within KIPP that sort of led to the role I'm in now. Um, I was a community liaison for, for all of, all of KIPP Houston and not just, not just Pilaris for a while. And then uh, I saw, I had some friends who were in the KIPP through college program this is the segment of KIPP that, um, well, I like can say it's KIPP through college. It, uh, it helps to support kids on that journey into post-secondary success, right? What I saw was that there seemed to have been a gap. There wasn't, there weren't a lot of uh, staff members on uh, on that particular team, but I, what I saw was that we weren't doing a lot of talking with ninth and 10th graders. We were focusing on 11th and 12th graders because those are really crucial years in pre- preparation for college. And... We were we were missing the mark, and so I think I sort of created my own job. I sort of advocated for myself in uh, talking with the, the then executive director and said I want to come over and and be a part of this. By this time too, you were moving into that into in, into that that era. Mm-hmm. So part of it was sort of um, well, self-serving, but um, anyway. So I subsequently came over to the Kid College team, and um, I felt that. Our kids needed, Our kids just needed some more guidance, mm-hmm. you know, and they needed guidance earlier because the earlier you, you talk to kids about post-secondary uh, choices they happen to have, the more it sticks with them and the more they're able to make good decisions for themselves.
0: Got you, got you. So why college counseling now? I, I, I still am unclear on what your exact role is. People ask mm-hmm. me, okay, what does your mom do? And what's her official title? I'm like, um, I know she works with students and she works with families, helping them to get to college. Um, but kind of explain to me why college counseling. And it's just, I don't know, it's just so interesting to see everything that you are, the the links and the connections between everything that you have done and how it's prepared you to kind of where you are now and where you're you know, hoping to go next. But in this place, where you are now in your career. Yeah, why? Why college counseling?
1: So, so I'm first generation, okay? First one in my family to to go to college, complete college, the whole nine yards. And just thinking back, well, 1,001 years ago, when I was going through this whole process, there was no one there to help me. Uh, I probably would have made some different kind of decisions, maybe the schools I went to, I, it's, it's hindsight now, but there was no one to really direct me who cared enough about me the information I needed, and um, and ensuring that I you know I made a really good a really good choice. Mm-hmm. I just I just made my choice. So um, I thought it was important that first of all, someone who had walked in those shoes uh, was involved in this process. But but also, um, what I wanted kids and families to understand was that. I wasn't there to make decisions for them. I wasn't there to push them towards something that wasn't going to be right for them. I was there to be that sounding board, um, be uh, be that resource so that when kids did make a decision, parents parents and families make a decision that it was going to be right for that, new, that particular child.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. So, so what's my
1: role now? So um, I'm a, I'm one of the directors of college counseling. I specifically work with those kids, who opted to go to other high schools other than KIPP? Because once you uh, matriculate out of eighth grade, you're a Kipster for life. And so, no matter what high school you go to, if you want our services, we try to provide those services to you to ensure that you have the resources that you need, the guidance that you may have the I mean, need, just extra, extra stuff too, um, uh, to and from college and career.
0: Gotcha. No. Um, so, as a first gen. As a first generation student, and you know, like with my role with Delaware College Scholars, we serve, you know, preferences given to first gen, but we serve a lot of low income, high achieving black and brown students. As kids are starting to think about this, you know, this notion of choice, you know, and options, mm-hmm. what advice can you give them as they start to think about, you know, post secondary, post secondary is- outcome. Yeah, exactly.
1: So. Oh. I may, you know, I may get flack for this, but it it doesn't really matter. Um, I'm about passion. I'm about following your heart. Uh, A lot of times what I find is that uh, our kids will look into careers, careers, uh, where they're gonna make a lot of money, but ultimately they may not be prepared for those careers. They may not find any kind of joy in it. And it's, I mean, it's a little crazy to, to invest in something that you adamantly hate and so when I'm talking with kids, I talk about, what do you want to do? But the thing about it is, it's okay if you don't know. It's okay. College is a time for exploration. And, uh, but I also talk about this too. Uh, college is not necessarily the end all and be all of everything. Some kids want to do other things. And there are many, many, many jobs out here that don't require a college education. Now, does it require some post-secondary education? Yeah. And so we'll talk to kids about that kind of thing too. Ultimately, what I want you to do is be fulfilled in whatever job you may happen, you know, you may happen to uh to, to get involved with. I think that's much more important than um than necessarily having the, the degree um that you're not happy with and that perhaps you can't get a job with. Hmm. Um, so my philosophy is when kids are in school, we're talking about before college or whatever, um, that we prepare them as if they are going to college. With the caveat being, if you choose not to, you uh, you have options. You know, I think that's the key word there, that you have
0: options. I think that you're not seen as less than either, right? Oh, absolutely. I, I absolutely. think we have this sort of notion or standard that, hey, everybody is going to college. That's the place that you need to go. And if you don't go, then like, oh, you're not as successful as the other student. Mm-hmm. And it's not mm-hmm. the case. College is not for everybody. And I think that counselors need to, under, need to understand that. I like how you phrased it though, push students and prepare them as if they are going to college in school. I think all of those skills are necessary,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: as they start to make those decisions for their future post-secondary, that it's okay to go to trade school. It's okay to just, we want them to have options, as many choices yeah. as possible, or the choice-filled lives, like you like yeah. you say all the time. Um, you know,
1: it's, it's funny, Jordan. Um, your, your brother, you know, uh, exercised his option. And he opted to go into the service, right? Okay. At the time, if I'm just talking about um, what it was looked at in, in my job, um, so there was there was like college or nothing, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, going to the military, where you're you serving your country and willing to die for your country, was it as as celebrated? You know, uh, this this choice and. So that was that was disturbing to me and i think that was sort of across the board you know so like uh the armed services was like a default you know but subsequently we began to understand and appreciate and celebrate the fact that again we talk about choices right and um and that the choices that that kids and families make for them you know for themselves are theirs and we we have to be we have to be okay with that you know we don't have to agree that's not our place but if we have given them all the information that we possibly can about various options various choices and they choose b or they choose whatever case may be then we're like okay how can we make sure that b is the best for you and we go from there
0: absolutely i think everything that you've said so far has been a lot of great wisdom for our scholars and just for our students in general this next question that i want to ask is kind of geared towards our counselors as well actually no what you said is great wisdom for both but this question is geared specifically for our families and our counselors who are working with these with their students so you talk a lot about heart passion commitment right college counseling is a lot of work and if you aren't truly passionate about it it can sometimes not be as fulfilling but i wanted to know specifically you've been in this game for 15 years now what keeps you going
1: i can talk about some of the things that, that make it just really difficult um when you're trying to work with kids and they they just don't hear you um this maybe their binds are just elsewhere especially with COVID here kids are just trying to get through so college may not be the the, the thing that's premier in their minds. Uh, what, what has kept me going is those, that, that one kid, you know, that one kid a semester, or those two kids in, in, in two or three years, whatever the case may be, who, who hear it, right? Who, through the many, many adverse situations that may happen to have been in, they have determined that they're going to make it work. When I say make it work, whatever they happen to be, whether it's uh, going directly into a, a career, whether it's going into college, whether it's going into the service, they have made a choice and they're putting their wholehearted effort into it. And when they come back to me and uh, and share their experiences, when they come back and say, you know, Miss Bonner, you know, thank you for uh, for believing in me. Yeah, that uh. That just sort of wipes out all the all the frustration that mm. I feel on you know on, on the regular sometimes you know yeah. um, you put a lot of effort into this because you genuinely care mm-hmm. and and then sometimes it seems like the reward is not there but so it's not about the reward it's about just putting it out there and hoping that it sticks to whomever it sticks to.
0: Nah, that's real though. That's real. That's real. Okay, we're transitioning into our Mad Minute segment. And the name makes okay. sense. It speaks for itself. A minute, rapid fire questions, and I'm shooting them at you. You don't have a lot of time to think about it. Just give me the answers quick. <sighs> Greatest accomplishment. My children. Best dish you personally can make.
1: I choose to say dressing. I say I do cheesecake well.
0: I go with dressing. Um, craziest thing you've done.
1: <sighs> uh Started working on my doctorate at this age. Yeah, yeah, I was insane.
0: If you could be doing something other than your current career, what would you do?
1: Uh, if not college counseling, I would still be working with um, with children and families in some kind of capacity. Yep. That is, that, that's my gift.
0: If you can't be found reading a book on your Kindle, what are you doing?
1: So I'm reading a regular book. So, yeah. so you're still, so you're still
0: reading, you still reading. Knowledge yeah. is power. Yeah. All right. First car.
1: A hey, Monza. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is before you were born. M-O-N-Z-A. I've never heard of it, but I got it um, from a little old lady in Pasadena. Okay.
0: I think this is before all of our seven, listeners eight, were born.
1: I'm sorry, say what? I
0: think this is before all of our listeners were born.
1: Uh, yeah, and your point would be, but uh, it had 15,000 miles on it, right? It was a 1978, uh, and it was a stick shift. I did not know how to drive a stick shift, but you learned it was cheap. I learned,
0: mm-hmm. I learned. and yeah. you could drive a stick, miles you on. can drive anything, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, we'll I, I appreciate it. All right, cool. That was it, that was fun. Ring the bell segment of the podcast. This is there's more. I thought I was having a great time so far, all I, right? I, this I, is the I, last I, two questions, I, also the same two questions that we give to every guest on the pod, all right? What's one piece of advice you would give your 16-year-old self?
1: Um, don't chase the money. Um, and I, thought I just sort of did that, but I got involved with uh, electronics engineering because at the time, um, there weren't a lot of black female engineers. know, I said, okay, wow, I can stand out. Uh, And I did last long in that because it didn't move my heart, right? Um, Did I make good money? Yeah, but but that was not the point. Um, So figure out what it is that you want to do, you know, and in spite of what others say, or try to steer you toward follow that, because when you have contentment in what you're doing, you will be successful. So let's talk about the measure of success. It should never be money. It should be what moves your heart. Yeah.
0: I could drop the mic right there. We also could do a whole nother pod on that, specifically, on people chasing the money, but also getting into careers that that don't necessarily move them. But mom said that I should do it. Mom said I should be a doctor. Mom said I should be an engineer. And I just pursue that. And then you get to college and you're like, wait, I don't want to do this. Anyways, Mm -hmm. we don't got time for that. What's your why?
1: My why? Wow. So I, I'm gonna assume you mean why I do what I do or why I make existence, which I think um, go hand in hand. So this is my passion, okay? This is my, um, this is my purpose. This is why God put me here to do what I do, to reach out to families, to support them, to support children, to be an encouragement. Why do I do what I do? Because I'm good at it. Because I'm really, really good at it. Yeah. Oh,
0: you ain't lying about that. But now nah, <laughs> look, I mean, look, that's how you know you operate in the purpose. If it can move you to tears, wow. Look. <laughs> Phenomenal guest.
1: You'll be cutting this piece out. We
0: are are keeping we are keeping this phenomenal, (laughs) phenomenal guest. My own mother, and it's not because I'm biased and she's my mother. She just imparted so much wisdom and um and we are so fortunate to have uh, have you on the podcast. Um I look forward to seeing you later. And I uh and I love you. Have a great day. I love
1: you more.
0: All right, you, I'm Yeah. Okay.